Adding a bit of greenery inside your home can bring a new life to your interiors. And whether you just want a small succulent or a massive cheese plant, there are loads to choose from to start creating your own personal jungle at home. So how do you bring plants into your home and keep them alive? I'm Laura Jackson and welcome to So How Do You? The interiors podcast packed with practical advice and inspiration from industry experts so that your dream home becomes your reality, whatever your budget. In every episode, I look at a different area of interior design. And today I'm going to be speaking to expert on biophilic design, Oliver Heath, to find out how plants support our mental health and general well-being. Plant parenting coach, Daryl Cheng, to find out how to keep our green friends thriving and the queen of making gardens out of small spaces, author Isabel Palmer. By the end of the episode, you'll know how to choose your perfect plant and how to help them thrive. If you know me, you know my life is a little bit hectic. At home, I've got John, two very small people and a dog, and they are not good for keeping things clean, especially the rugs. So let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Ruggable. The rugs in my house get an absolute battering from mucky paws, the kids dropping all kinds of everything everywhere, and just general wear and tear of everyday life. Let's face it, you don't get someone in to clean your rugs every other month, and they don't fit in the washing machine. But then I was introduced to Ruggable. I put a Ruggable Jonathan Adler number in the kids' room, and I haven't looked back. It easily pops in the washing machine and comes out brand new. The Sudafed stain, gone. The Calpol half spilled everywhere, no problem. Having a rug that I can clean myself, dry and put back in the kids' room with minimal effort is my kind of cleaning. Now, if only I could put the kids and the husband in there as well. If you're a busy bee like me and you're looking for minimal effort but with maximum style, then head over to ruggable.co.uk to check out their gorgeous selection of rugs. And Ruggable, no, I love a bargain. Yes, I do. So they have kindly offered a 10% discount to you guys if you use the code LAURA10. That's L-A-U-R-A and the number 10 on their website to get your own washable rug. Let me know how you get on. First up, we have Oliver Heath. So he's a biophilic designer, which if I'm being completely honest, I've no idea what that is. Uh, It's actually a job title I've never heard of before. So let's all get some clarity on what exactly that means. So biophilic design essentially is a a series of ways of bringing and enhancing that connection to nature. And it's not just about bringing plants into spaces. There are three key aspects. So one of them is about what we call the direct connection to nature. It's how we bring deeper connections to water, trees, plants, light and fresh air, all those kind of very sensory elements of nature. It's also about what we call indirect connections with nature. It's how we bring uh, natural materials, colours, textures, patterns, and even technologies into our home that remind us or mimic a sense of nature. And the third thing is what we call a human spatial response. It's how we create spaces that are exciting and stimulating and aspirational, but also calming, relaxing and restorative. So with these three elements that Oliver outlined, we can really improve our mind and body just by having plants close by. But how exactly do plants do that? Well, plants are these just most amazing things that, you know, technology is yet to even replicate. Um, They can modify temperatures, humidity, acoustics, and also improve air quality. So many, many plants can actually remove toxins in our air. And there was a kind of seminal study called the NASA Clean Air Study that showed that lots of different types of plants can remove 
uh, toxins in our environments, things like volatile organic compounds, which kind of off gas from paint, you know, that kind of freshly painted room smell, that's, that's kind of VOCs off gassing. It can remove uh, particulates, you know, when you burn something like a candle or from exhaust fumes. These are things called PM10s and 2.5s. So they can remove them through, through the leaves, but also the roots. Other amazing things that you may not know about that go beyond those kind of basic amazing things are that they can add color and texture and pattern uh, and movement to spaces. If you think about it, our homes are generally like fixed elements, but plants bring that gentle sense of movement. And we talk about this this aspect called non-rhythmic sensory stimuli. And it's that lovely, soft, gentle movement we see of leaves moving in a tree or, or ripples moving across a pool of water. And it's just that opportunity to look at that gentle, seemingly chaotic movement and just drift off for a moment. And those drifting off moments are really important for our well-being because just sort of gazing into this gentle movement, which is very calming and non-threatening, will help to restore our mental and physical energy. Other amazing things, I mean, it just goes on and on, is this idea called statistical or biophilic fractals. So you may have heard of fractals before. And essentially, a fractal is essentially a kind of self-repeating pattern. Now, biophilic fractals are what we see in nature of self-repeating patterns that just go on and on at different scales. A little bit how a tree divides into a branch, divides into smaller branches and twigs. And recent studies have shown that viewing fractal patterns can actually reduce stress by 60%. And the last amazing thing the plants and greenery can do, this list just goes on and on and on, it's amazing. It can improve your gut microbiome. So essentially, your gut microbiome contains what we call microflora. And that microflora can help digestion, your mood, hormone release, uh, and essentially kind of has a sort of gut-brain connection. So things that go on in your stomach can actually affect your physical and mental well-being. So engaging with plants has been shown in numerous studies to improve your gut microbiome, which can support physical, mental well-being. Uh, It can improve kind of ADHD in children and improve general uh, kind of health and well-being overall. So amazing stuff, plants. I mean, I I just thought just taking 10 minutes out of my day to water the indoor plants was good because I wasn't on my mobile phone. But all of that sounds really good too. How do you approach a new client's home in terms of what plants you're going to put in there and how you're kind of going to devise the space? Well, when we talk to new clients... We don't tend to take just, you know, a visual approach. And I think there's an awful lot of uh, kind of focus on how a home looks. We tend to ask a client how they want their home to feel and how it can support their physical and mental well-being, how it can support moments of privacy to recuperate, but also connections with others. And so plants and greenery are kind of one aspect of that. So we talk to them also about their availability of maintenance time, the travel time away from the home and how they might look after plants. We look at the spatial opportunities that exist in the home and also outside of it. You know, where can you put plants? How much space have you got? You know, where where plants may sit in a corner or soften a harder corner off. Look at the circulation routes. But we also have to assess the lighting levels because not every plant wants to sit on a windowsill. And actually, most don't. So thinking about the orientation the way the sunlight comes in and where you might start to position plants is really important. And then look at the different functions of each room of the home and how planting might actually support some of that functionality. Yeah, that's absolutely so true, isn't it? In terms of how do you want to feel? What do you, when you walk into your home, what what kind of reaction do you want to have physically rather than just how it looks to you? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think because we're not having so many people to our homes, it's much less about how it looks and much more about how it makes you feel. Because what the research shows is that actually we spend 90% of our lives indoors. And of course, over lockdown, most of that has been in our own homes. So we've realized that actually the four walls that we surround ourselves in have a very significant impact on our physical, mental, and emotional states. And so thinking about that and how we can alleviate stress and aid recuperation, create time for privacy and recuperation, but also how we connect with others is more important than ever in our homes. And I think plants and greenery are a vital part of, of that route to well-being. Absolutely. I mean, some people will want to kind of go for a full canopy in their home, a little bit like what you've got in your home office, but others, I guess, might prefer to have them more sporadically dotted around. So coming from an angle of health, which rooms are good places to put plants to promote great well-being? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting subject because we think quite often, I'll just add a few plants here and there, but we can be much more specific about which plants can add benefits to which room. And it's a subject that we, we recently investigated in our new book, Design a Healthy Home, of how and where you put plants in different rooms. And when you think about it, it makes total sense because there are certain rooms with certain functionalities and plants can help and support that. So of course, when you think about, let's say your kitchen, where you might be cooking, it makes sense that you might add um, plants that you can eat. So you might want to have plants like parsley, mint, chives, uh, where, the, where you can occasionally pick off uh, a leaf, maybe rosemary, thyme, oregano, or basil if you're cooking Italian food. So lots of plants, of course, are edible. But also there are some uh, physical attributes of other plants, like aloe vera, which is very good for soothing burns. So if you tend to burn yourself and you're a bit clumsy in the kitchen, putting a little bit of aloe vera on your uh, burn is really important. Other rooms where plants are important, things like bedrooms, um, of course, when, when you want to be in the bedroom, you want to be relaxed and calm. And many plants have healing and calming qualities. So lavender is a really important one. And, and many of you will know that actually lavender is known for, for its scent, which is very calming and restorative. And likewise is jasmine and also another one called valerian. Valerian is often taken as, as a supplement or as a drop that you put in a drink to, to help you to sleep better. But it can also be kind of uh, improve the quality of the space when you add it into your room and maybe add petals to a bath. Other plants are really important for bedrooms are plants that have reverse respiratory systems. So many plants uh, release oxygen in the day and remove CO2, but lots of plants also produce oxygen at night and remove CO2. So really good for bedrooms. So plants like peace lilies and snake plants are ideal for removing toxins, but also producing oxygen and improving your sleep as a result. Plants for bathrooms, well, you know, often bathrooms are quite small spaces. So maybe you want to think about having hanging plants that can drop down. So having plants like pothos or otherwise known as kind of devil's ivy are really good because they won't take up space. They also have like very low lighting levels. Um, plants that don't need very much tending or very much watering, things like air plants are really good. So they're basically kind of rootless plants. You can literally stick them in shells or, or kind of stick them to walls. They don't need soil to grow. You just need to spray them. But also the moisture in a bathroom is very good for them. Um, snake plants are very good because they tolerate very low light levels. Uh, and then other plants like orchids also live in very tropical environments. So don't need you know, uh, uh, or actually kind of really thrive in that very moisture-rich environment. Um, and then the other one that I just wanted to mention, uh, a couple more, in living rooms, often a living room is somewhere where you might speak and communicate. So lots of big leaf plants 
like rubber plants, pothos, or monsteras, which are otherwise known as kind of cheese plants, are really good at soaking up live acoustics. So it makes speech that much more intelligible. And then the last one, of course, is as we're all working from home a lot more, there are lots of plants that can actually uh, improve productivity, creativity, and just give you a moment out to recuperate your physical and mental and cognitive states. So adding things like ZZ plants, uh, fiddle leaf figs, uh, philodendrons, but also some of those smaller sort of subtler cacti or succulents are really good in workspaces. Now we've got our beautiful plants and they are well placed throughout our home, but making sure they're in the correct pots is a whole new ballgame. I think what I do really love about plants is that if you don't own your space or you want to change your space quite frequently, you can move them around because they're in pots. So what sort of pots do you recommend for houseplants and where, where do you get yours from? I mean, lots of uh, retailers, DIY stores or kind of home stores will sell pots. I think what's really important about the plots is that you make sure that there is some availability for the roots to grow and not to sit in water. One of the things that kills more plants than any other reason is the overwatering of plants rather than underwatering. So basically what happens is you water them, you know, maybe two, three times a week, the water pools at the bottom and then the roots are just sitting in that moisture. So what's really important is they have a way for the moisture to drain out. It could be that you put a layer of rocks or, you know, or kind of pebbles or gravel at the bottom. Maybe you lift it up. You just allow those roots to filter the water away uh, and not to sit in the water because they can need both kind of air uh, and oxygen uh, and CO2 as well. So raise the roots out of the water. That's probably the most important thing. Uh, pots are available in all sorts of spaces from shops and, and DIY centers. But also, if you want to go a little bit quirkier, go to markets and find old urns or kettles and old pots in that way. And you can kind of find some really unique things. So that would be my tip for the most unique ways of, of supporting plants. Finally, this is a big one. Favorite house plant? Uh, oh, I do love my uh, monsteras. They're, they're really lovely. You know, they, they really do kind of reward you with these beautiful lush green unfurling plants uh, uh leaves that kind of that pop out you know they're the kind of and they they change from being quite small and kind of like little baby plants and then as they grow you get that because of the kind of beautiful the holes sort of open up in the plants and they become really graphic so those monsteras the kind of those cheese plants are lovely but also the devil's ivy which kind of cascades down and whenever you hang a plant it gives that really sort of tropical lush feeling to a space so don't just think about putting plants on on the floor or on tabletops, but think about how you can have them hanging down because it really does add to that sense of, of sort of lushness and richness to a space. I knew plants were good at keeping our air supply lovely and clean, but who knew the extent of those studies? Really, really interesting. If you guys are wanting to start your own indoor jungle like we have at our house, I suggest getting on Gumtree or FreeCycle. Um, it's a really inexpensive way of getting plants. It's two websites we use all the time. And if people are moving or throwing plants out, you can get them for free. And not only that, you are giving them a new lease of life, which is lovely. I really love the room by room breakdown that Oliver gives us, especially those ideas for low light rooms, because the issue that I think a lot of us face is that we choose a gorgeous plant that looks lovely in its pot, but no matter how much we Google our plant's symptoms, sometimes they're just not happy in our home and it just feels like one big guessing game. But my next guest certainly knows how to make sure that plants are pampered. 
Daryl Cheng runs the Instagram account, The Houseplant Journal, and I have never come across a page quite as rich with tips on looking after your houseplants. I am very excited to talk to him. Daryl, I mean, the first thing is tell us about yourself and um, how you've become so educated in caring for houseplants. Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, my name is Daryl and uh, I'm the creator of Houseplant Journal. It's, uh, I mean, started out as a blog and eventually worked its way up to become a, a book called The New Plant Parent. Um, it really all started roughly uh, six years ago when um, my my mom said to me, hey, Daryl, help me decorate the house with some houseplants. And I said, okay, sure. Uh, but she also added, but you need to figure out how to take care of them because she claimed to be bad with plants, which I think maybe you hear a lot of people have the same feeling, right? When they first encounter houseplants. So I said, okay. And I tried to just Google houseplant advice and read books and such. And what I found was that a lot of what was written was the same basic and vague things that were repeated over and over, like don't overwater, uh, bright indirect light. And I felt like, especially for me, as uh, my background is in engineering, I felt like it was a little bit um, lacking in precision, let's say. All of the rules, like you mentioned, seem very generic. You know, don't overwater, don't put your plan in direct sunlight. So what are the more prescriptive instructions that you can kind of give us to look after our houseplants? Mm-hmm. So in fact, I, I would even take a step back and say that I realized now, even after writing the book, that sometimes the reason why houseplant care is intimidating is because we think that there should be rules about what to do in terms of taking care of plants. I never follow any specific rules about do this or do, don't do that. In fa- instead, I think about, okay, how much light am I getting? I'll measure it and I'll, and I'll you know, kind of make an analysis of that. And then in terms of the watering, the, I'll look at how, how dry the soil is and like think about the temperature and all those kinds of things. And ma- it, make it, it makes it more observation-based and less rule-based. And in that way, the easiest example I can think of is with watering. A lot of people are are confused about, oh, is this plant every five days? Is that plant every 10 days? Oh, but if it's winter, is it more because it's less light? No, no, I just look at the soil and then make a determination about whether it's time to water. There's only three different, I would call, watering strategies for every single plant that you can think of. The first one is water when the soil is completely dry. So your cacti, your succulents, snake plant, ZZ plant, those are plants where you you do do not have to water again until the soil is bone dry. The second type is water when the soil is partially dry, which is pothos, uh, more leafy, aeroids, uh, calathea. Those are plants where after I water it, I feel the pot and it's completely heavy, so I'm not watering it again. But I'm again, I'm not adhering any strictly to any schedule. I'm just lift. I'm just checking the plant to see when the soil has reached that point. And the last type is keep the soil evenly moist. So the best example is a maidenhair fern. You cannot once you've watered it full. It's you know heavy with with water, but you can't you can't let the soil even reach halfway dry. Otherwise, all the fronds dry up and and the the whole thing dies. This is so interesting because I know that lots of us who have got plants will have a bit of a watering schedule and there's lots of apps out there to help us now as well. But I suppose what we really need to do is be more observant and less regimented. That's a great tip from Daryl. 
Also, picking up the plant to weigh the hydration is a great hack, but if you can't pick them up easily, there's an amazing tool called a handheld soil moisture reader. So as long as you know how moist the soil needs to be, it's happy days. Anyway, let's get back to Daryl to find out some of the most common mistakes when it comes to watering, placement and repotting, as well as what we can do to bring our beloved plants back from the dead. What do you think is the biggest mistake that we make then looking after our indoor plants? Uh, the, the biggest mistake, even though I just talked all about watering, is in fact not enough light. And when I say not enough light, I'm not just saying that there's not enough duration when the sun shines directly on it. I'm saying it's not close enough to the window or maybe, <laughs> unfortunately, the plant you bought is too big for the size of window that you have. If you look up 90% of the house plants that you buy, they, they are probably listed as bright indirect light. If, if the label says bright indirect light, where should I put my plant? The answer is as close to your window as possible. And then realize that whoever has bigger windows will have better light and therefore the plant will grow better. Now, the second part of that of that instruction of putting it as close to your window as possible is if the sun is going to shine on it for a duration longer than like approximately two or three hours, of course, the tolerance varies by different plants, then you might consider either blocking it with a kind of white sheer curtain or moving it a little bit farther from the window. And then also realizing that people, my, my joke about this is that think about all the people you who you say have a so-called green thumb and I'm willing to bet that they are just the people who have the largest windows. Well, I mean, I, I like the fact that you take a really tactile approach to looking after your plants. I think that that's kind of, you know, leading by the feeling, you know, just looking at the plants every day and like feeling what they need. I think that that's really important. I think people just absolutely don't do that. For people who are looking for tips and tricks in terms of working out why their plant has died or what is wrong with their plants. Are there any good websites um, out there that we can kind of go to for some advice? Well, you know, I, I think if we start in a very basic way of just using Instagram, for example, if we follow a lot of the people who do take care of plants, then, you know, you can kind of scroll back and see if somebody has had a certain plant for a long time. And then that way, you right away should be realizing, oh, that person has had success with such and such plant for maybe a number of years even. So you can trust what they say that they do with that plant. I mean, and how do you go about repotting your plants? How do you know when it's time to repot it? You know, as you just said, you had a plant that's grown with you for the last three years. When do you know when to replant it? Mm -hmm. So the signals to look for um, when it's time to repot is, number one, how long has it been in the same soil? So soil, because we're not outdoors we don't have insects to constantly turn over the all the nice stuff in the soil so effectively indoors in a container soil does lose its uh, nutrients it gets kind of stale the structure gets a little bit uh, compacted and hard uh, so number one is like how long has it been in the same soil generally if it's older than a year then i start to look for the second sign and that is uh, whether the roots of the plant have started to encircle the base of the pot and that's that's a condition known as being root bound. And if your if your plant's roots are a little bit are like really really compacted and and uh, tight together, then it really stunts the growth of the plant. So then when those two things combine, I I look at that. Then um, then it's time to repot it. And in terms of how to do it, 
if you want to go to a larger pot, you should go only to the next size larger. Why, why shouldn't we be going too big? Why are we only taking baby steps? Uh, because the, the, the root system ideally should fill up the, the whole um, volume of soil. Because if you have just soil that's there without any roots, kind of at least in the vicinity, then when you water the plant and you water it nice and thoroughly, that, that volume of soil that has no roots in it kind of stays moist and stale. And moist and stale are the two factors that promote what's called root rot. Now, this is what exactly what the reason why I don't say overwatering too much because it doesn't really draw attention to the fact that it's really a condition of uh, low oxygen in the root area and overly moist. Yes, that's what overwatering kind of addresses. But the last part is uh, having weak roots. And when you first repot a plant, it is a kind of a shock to the to the plant. So you have to give it time to to readjust. And in that kind of more sensitive time, it, it's possible that root rot is more prevalent. Can we bring any plant back from the dead? Say we've got a plant at home and it literally looks like it's on its last legs. Is there anything we can do? I think it depends on on how it got there. If it had been, <laughs> if the plant had been sitting in the dark corner and you were just constantly watering on a schedule because you thought that was what we were supposed to do, then it's like the plant has come from really good from the nursery and declined, 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 declined to the point where if you suddenly realize that it needs to be in front of the window, if you suddenly realize that you didn't have to water on a schedule, uh, then it might grow back depending on the type of plant, but it may also never really it ne may never be able to satisfy you again. It may never have that nice lush look that you first bought it, right? That should bring hope to a lot of the serial plant killers out there. Hands up, I'm one of them. I suppose when it comes to plants, the beauty of them is that they are affordable and you can move them about. They're one of the least permanent aspects of interiors. So it's really handy if you're living in a space that you don't own or is temporary. I love the idea of home as a canvas for collecting treasures and have always been obsessed with finding objects for my home that feel unique, functional and beautiful. After years and years of internet searching, hunting high and low for the best homeware artisans and makers, I really struggled to find somewhere where all of these things were curated in one place. This was where the idea for Glassette began, who also happened to be another sponsor of this podcast. Last year, along with Dan, my brother-in-law, I launched Glassette, the new destination to shop all things home. Glassette is a treasure trove full of beautiful homeware from the UK's best and most creative independent brands that will not blow your budget. From artful prints for your gallery wall to intricately hand-blown glassware for dinner parties, we've considered every moment of a life well-lived at home. My favourite thing about Glassette is that you can make a wish list for practically anything, whether it's a mood board for a room in your house, a wedding registry, I mean I don't know about you but I'd much rather a checkerboard rug than a microwave, or a shopping list for your next dinner party and then you can share it with your friends and family wherever they are for them to shop from it too. Gift giving and receiving just got way more exciting. Head to glassette.com and follow us at Glassette on Instagram for inspiration, weekly new arrivals and interior design tips and tricks from the most stylish homemakers I know. Those that follow me will know how fraught life can be, but I've got the perfect solution for living a little bit calmer. 
and that's by our sponsor, Grass & Co. Life can sometimes feel quite overwhelming, if I'm honest. However, I've been enjoying how Grass & Co. Premium CBD Oil has really helped calm the noise of everyday life. CBD is a natural extract of the hemp plant, which is both legal and non-intoxicating. Grass & Co. deliver the highest quality CBD infused with absolutely delicious naturally sourced botanicals. There are three ranges, Calm, Rest and Ease. My personal favourite right now is definitely the Calm range. It blends CBD with ashwagandha, chamomile and mint with vitamin B5 that helps support mental performance and relaxation. Personally, the way that I've worked this into my routine is to take a few drops of the CBD oil and put them under my tongue in the morning to prepare me for the day. It's really helped me stay calm and more focused. I might even add a few drops at night as well to help drift me off to sleep. But they've got this amazing pillow spray that's got some wonderful tranquil aromatherapy scents that do help drift me off most nights. Now for the good bit. So Grass & Co have offered listeners to this podcast an exclusive 25% off their order via their website using the code LAURA25. What a deal. Listen, you just got to go to the website, grassandco.com, and put in L-A-U-R-A and then the number 25 to start your own karma journey today. Honestly, I can't wait for you guys to try it. One thing that we don't all have is the luxury of space, which also sometimes means that light isn't as abundant, especially if we're in a flat that only has light for a couple of hours a day. So when I came across Isabel Palmer, I was really excited and I had to get her on the podcast. She's the author of multiple books that specialise in garden and plant solutions for smaller spaces. Izzy, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work in the world of plants. Uh, Right. So probably about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, I started my company and it all kind of grew out of the fact that I had two balconies I really wanted to you know to make them into a garden a space I could kind of call my own and I didn't know where to start and also when I looked I didn't really find any products or anything that really kind of fit with my aesthetic so that's kind of how the seed was sown no pun intended um and I I just basically I, I did a lot of research from Europe because they have you know they're really big into balcony gardening and small space gardening and it kind of grew grew from that where by I started a company which made um, ready-made window boxes and also we sold um, kind of you know modern um, nice garden products for small spaces because um, there still wasn't a lot out of them I mean it was just your you know your normal green plastic window box. And it, you know, my career's kind of evolved from that with my books, and um, I now do more kind of a, a design-led uh, job. So, you know, going into people's small spaces and, and turning them into a garden. I love that. I mean, I feel over the last couple of years, we have really wanted to bring the outside in more than ever. And there's a lot of people who will be listening who also have a small space and don't know how they can use plants to liven their area I mean what are your biggest hacks for making these spaces a little bit greener well I think when I I look at uh, kind of designing or um, you know trying to transform space I really just treat it as another room Um, you know exactly how you'd decorate you know your living room 
with, um, you know, a color palette and a look and a feel. So it, it's really about, you know, if you've got a, a certain plant that you like. And I, and I kind of always want to link that outside and in and vice versa. So if I've got like a really gorgeous color of cushion, I'll try and, you know, have that that color pop up in the outside space as well. So I think really what you need to do is have a little bit of a think before you start. Don't go and if you've never had any gardening experience and, you know, spend thousands of pounds, start off small and kind of build up your confidence. If you're really time poor, don't go and get something that's going to require a lot of maintenance and a lot of watering. So yeah, and I always, you know, try and keep things simple as well. Use materials that you've got inside of your house and extend them out. If you've got wood flooring, maybe use some decking wood flooring outside. If you've got a very neutral colour plat, um, you know, keep things so there's kind of a seamless design. And also, you know, use odd numbers, one, three, five uh, number of pots. It just looks better. And I'd always say go for the biggest pot you possibly can. What can be limiting with smaller spaces and placing plants? Well, I think, you know, obviously they're on show a little bit more. You haven't got uh, a huge garden to hide behind. Um you know, it could be quite exposed. If you've got a small space, if it's a balcony, you can have it so it's very shady or um, on the other side, a lot of, you know, sunlight, um, which can kind of cook your plants. I mean, you you, you know, a south-facing garden or uh, outdoor space is brilliant, but you'll be forever watering it. So you want to kind of take into account those limitations and also, um, you know, just have a bit of fun with it, I think. Uh, and if you do your homework before, then you can obviously tailor it to, so that you're not, you know, out there flogging yourself every day, watering and carrying a million different water and cans around. How can we hang plants safely uh, inside and outside? What do we need to think about? Well, I think having hanging plants or living walls is such a brilliant um, way to kind of display your plants, especially if you're short of space. And things to look out for, you know, obviously don't hang something over the a ledge of a balcony, which could fall off and like hurt somebody underneath. Make sure, you know, it's securely attached to the ceiling um, with, you know, I'd, I'd get somebody to come in and do that for me because I'm no good with the drill. <laughs> or, um, but yeah, also you can hang them on kind of shelves as well. It doesn't need to be, you know, just suspended. Like that's a really great way to display plants and also you've got something that you can put underneath it so the, the problem about having hanging plants is water obviously with gravity it just goes right out of it at the end so you need to really make sure that you know your plants are getting enough water as well and that um, you know you can maintain that. What are the savvy small place techniques we can adopt when finding a new home for plants? Um well, like I said, I think you need to uh, use a, a, a colour palette, very kind of neutral and soft, that's actually going to show off the plants at their best. I always like having nice, tall planters at the back and, and you know, obviously coming uh, smaller at the front. And also, you know, having dark colours closer to you and a lighter colour um, furthest away, it'll draw your eye out. So obviously it will you know, make your space look a bit bigger. And that goes if, you know, if you if you use light colours or mirrors or 
you know, something that will reflect and make your space look larger. That's always a good um, tip to use. And what are your favourite plants to squeeze into small spaces and, and why? I think I like having plants that you wouldn't tend to think would go in a container. But I mean, there's there's such a vast amount, you know, I'd be, I'd be challenged to see if I couldn't grow something in a container. But I love using um, really big plants like tree, small trees, beaches. I love jasmines they're really great because one you know they're climbing plant two they're evergreen and three they have a lovely scent and then you've got lovely plants like you know ornamental glass grasses I love in a small space because you've got that sense of movement and it also it makes a lovely sound when it's in the wind so you know really um acting on the senses in terms of color and sight and scent um I think is a brilliant thing to do in a small space because it really brings it closer to you and I think you know look about how you're going to transport things things go in and out of season you know throughout the year and you want to have obviously your best plants at the front um so you know get some casters on on your pots to make it easier to kind of move around um and also you know get different looks with that as well so Things like that, bulbs I love, they're really great as well because you've got that whole element of it just, you know, popping up as the year starts, the summer starts. I just bought loads for myself because we've just moved house and I I can't, you know, I'm so excited (laughs) to get them put in um, and to wait and see, you know, them on show. Yeah, I think, you know, you just got to really have a little bit of fun with it. If someone lives in a flat and they've not really got much light or space, which I think are two things that you might need for growing a plant, how can they use their space creatively? So I think in terms of when you've got that small space, you've really got to think creatively and think outside of the box. You know, use all the available area you can. So the walls, the ceiling, you know, even the floor as well. Um, If you've got a really small space and you've just got enough room to kind of sit there, um, or even not even you know just look at it from the home you know it's from indoors it's it's it just having that size sometimes is enough you know to if you've got some lovely window boxes but I think again you've got to look at your um, you know your position is it going to be sunny is it going to be shady is it windy or is it exposed and um, once you've got that kind of set that will allow you find out what kind of plants are going to grow in your space or survive. So if you've got really shady, um, a really shady area, you know, you're going to be limited in terms of colour for a bit uh, and you're more going to be steered towards evergreen plants, which in itself is a good thing because you've got that all throughout the year. Um, so things like ivies, ferns, and, you know, they have such a great display as well, things like that with the texture They look really, I'm absolutely in love with ferns at the moment. And then, you know, I think if you've seen a nice colour, like I said before, you've got something in your home that you, you know, you want to bring that, you know, in and out, then, you know, go for that materials that are within your house as well. Um, But yeah, just make sure that your pots have got drainage holes. That's like a number one thing. You need that. Otherwise, your plant's going to drown. And um, make sure that, you know, you've checked out the the space as well and that it's safe 
to kind of take a load and, you know, it's not going to fall through onto your neighbor's head <laughs> kind of thing. And then, sorry, um, yeah, I think, you know, you just got to get those those things sorted and then, you know, you can kind of explore a bit. If anybody is putting any of these plants inside rather than outside in their small space, how can they um, get around those drainage issues? Because they might not be able to, you know, they might not feel comfortable maybe having the holes in the bottom of the pot. Is there, is there any other kind of creative ways that they could do that? Yeah, so you can use um, a lining. It's a core uh, lining made of kind of like coconut husk. And that, um, alongside hydroleca, which are these clay um, pebbles, you can actually line the base of the pot plant in. So the core is going to stop the water and the, uh, you know, the soil from mixing too much so it'll keep it kind of underneath that if you've got excess water I mean I always say just be really careful anyway when you're watering even if you're on a windowsill or a a balcony or whatever because you know it does they do tend to go over the top as well um so yeah you can use that and then that's going to safeguard from it you know spilling out all over your floor or use a tray or a saucer underneath as well Um, And just be mindful when you're watering not to go crazy. With so many fabulous ideas for smaller spaces, let's talk about the design of window planters and how to use pots. You really can't underestimate the power of a good pot, whether it's a simple classic terracotta, a vintage basket, a zinc dolly or a large coloured statement pot. You can really elevate the design and feel that you're wanting to get in a room. And again, pots are yet another wonderful non-permanent addition that can really transform a space. So what are Izzy's more unusual container options that she can share with us? I've got to admit, I do use recycled containers, things like dolly tubs, the old kind of washing zinc tubs, uh, fruit crates, you know, um, are really great as well if you line them. But I think in terms of recycled, I normally tend to do things like instead of using like an old boot or something is more changing my pot color or um you know either with paint or spray painting it or you know I don't generally tend to to go down the the huge recycled view because I don't think it you know it really gives the best for for the plant uh, in terms of an aesthetic it's even things like going on eBay or getting, you know, secondhand pots. Yeah, absolutely. And that's um, exactly what I would do. You know, go and get a pot from eBay and maybe paint it in colour. Um, and you can do that throughout the year anyway. I mean, I'm always changing the colours of my pots. It's a really quick, cheap, cost-effective way of getting a new look. Um, and you can keep things fresh, you know, without um, breaking the bank as well. How is the best way to approach designing a window box for inside and for outside? So I always look at my window boxes as if they're like a border or, um, you know, uh, the side of um, a bed planting. So I'll have tall things at the back, smaller things at the front, try and keep the colour palettes, you know, maybe two or three colours I would stick with. It just makes it a lot more simple and aesthetically, it doesn't jar. I mean, you know, you can go down that route and have like a, a wildflower mix whereby you just sew them into a, a window box and get that lovely kind of meadow feel. Um, but I would say, you know, think about what 
you know, you'd like to see. I always look at it as like a little uh, mini garden in itself, um, whether it be a standalone piece or you've got it with other window boxes to kind of make that look. So, for instance, I, I'm really the prairie look is is quite a strong, big trend coming up in gardening. And that has a lot of kind of clumped planting. So you could do that same thing with the effect of having one plant in each different window box to kind of give that um, that look. So I think it's basically just translating a garden look down into a um, you know container, basically. And I think that's the best way to kind of look at it. It's it's a lot simpler than trying to make a beautiful display um, in one box, and you you kind of get it's it's really effective as well. I get really excited about how versatile plants are. Whether you're renting or renovating, they can really add to the feel of your home, especially if you've got lots of different pots and containers. I love the idea of making a mini garden in your house. You might have got the memo by now, but I'm a bit of an interiors obsessive. And our sponsor, Archive, has always provided me with plenty of inspiration. I've always dreamt of owning a house and used to fantasize about the interiors that it would have. After years of saving, we finally went searching for our dream home. We walked into the most perfect house, which had this Sanderson country trail wallpaper from 1979 in the living room. I instantly fell in love. Although this wallpaper is over 30 years old, there's something so now about the print. I've absolutely loved designing this room with my furniture against the vintage print. There is something so romantic about the history that the walls have. To my delight, I've recently discovered that the Sanderson Design Group have created a new brand called Archive that really breaks the barriers between heritage and modern. They've cherry-picked designs from their archive and reimagined them in riotous colour combinations for the ultimate maximalist look. You can find some serious interior inspiration on their Instagram at archive underscore SDG. And you can shop their reimagined designs for curtains, cushions, wallpaper, lighting. I mean, literally, that's my dream shopping list. And for a limited time, if you use the code LAURA10, that's L-A-U-R-A and the number 10, you will get a 10% discount. Great, right? You are just going to love everything. Let me know what you get. Well, there we have it. If you're the type to buy a plant and it not live past a year, hopefully from this point on, your plant parenting skills and air quality will be greatly improved. You're welcome. A big thank you to our guests, Oliver, Daryl and Isabel for coming on the podcast today and letting me pick their plant brains. If you'd like to have a look at their socials, they're linked in the show notes of this episode. And of course, for more advice, make sure you check out our Instagram page at So How Do You Podcast and to listen to our other episodes on handy tips for how to make a rental feel like a home and how to personalise your new build kitchen. Thanks for listening. I'm Laura Jackson and that's how you bring plants into your home. <laughs>